Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Trojan Talk podcast. I am Ryan Young, publisher at Trojansports.com. As always, we did something a little different this week with the podcast because we were throwing a wrinkle when USC's game at Cal was postponed on Tuesday due to some complicated COVID issues within the Cal football program and the city of Berkeley, etc., etc. The game is rescheduled for December 4th. But in the meantime, we had no game this weekend. We had no game to preview or talk about. And we really had no access with USC players or coaches after Wednesday. So it's been a little bit of a different week. But we used that to our advantage and were able to get USC redshirt senior defensive end Nick Figueroa to make time for the podcast. I wanted to have Nick on for a couple of reasons. A, I think he's one of the most interesting stories, personal stories on this team. A guy who was barely recruited out of high school, goes to FCS-level Cal Poly, red shirts his first year, is on a really unsuccessful team, and just thinks that he can, he can do more with his career, football career. So he convinces his parents to let him walk away from that scholarship and come home and go to Riverside City College in the JUCO ranks, where he puts up a monster season, is suddenly a big recruit for the first time, USC wins the recruiting battle with UCLA to get him. Doesn't do much his first year. Gets a little experience. Then last year leads the Trojans with seven tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. More than that, really became one of the leaders in that defensive line on the defense period. This season hasn't gone as planned. Of course, he's been nagged by injuries, shoulder and, and leg, and he's hoping to finish strong. But more than just talking about football, I wanted to bring Nick on because I'm often asked, by our subscribers, you know, who are the best interviews on the team? Who are the guys you all enjoy talking to the most? And for the football program, Nick Figueroa is definitely on that list because he always gives thoughtful answers. He's always a willing conversationalist and tries to engage in whatever you're asking. He's also one of the more accomplished guys off the field as well. Excellent student. He's working on a master's degree now. I was told by USC that he's he's hoping to go to either Harvard or or UPenn uh, to work on an MBA at some point down the road whenever football's over. So a guy with a lot of ambition who conveys himself pretty well and has a pretty cool football story. So I wanted to let our listeners kind of hear him. That is our first segment. And then our second segment is familiar friend of the program, Brady McCullough of the Los Angeles Times, who wrote a, another great story this week on a USC coaching candidate profiling Dave Aranda, the Baylor head coach who was just surging up everyone's wish list for this USC job. Brady went out to Redlands, California, where Aranda is from, talked to his high school and college coaches and a friend and just really got a sense for who who this guy is, uh, what his makeup is, context and perspective on his career and whether or not all of that means he would be interested in coming home to Southern California and taking this USC job if offered. And of course, beyond just Dave Aranda, Brady and I talked about the coaching search in general, covered a lot of ground there. I will just note that Brady and I recorded on Friday, and so that was before Baylor went out on Saturday and made a statement with a 27-14 win over previously unbeaten Oklahoma. So the Baylor Bears are now 8-2, and there's even more Momentum behind Dave Aranda as a promising head coaching candidate for USC or for other schools. We cover a lot of ground with Aranda, but we do not mention that game. And just so you're not confused as to why that would be the case, that is the case. Because we recorded the day before that game. It takes time to deliver the production quality you guys have become accustomed to with this podcast. So I can't rush these things. I think it's a, a fun show. Without further ado, let's get into it. Let's bring in... USC defensive end Nick Figueroa. Okay, let's get right into our first segment and welcome into the show on the line USC red shirt senior defensive end Nick Figueroa. Nick, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. As I said in the intro, this is a unusual week where there's no game. We expected to have a game. There is no game, and I thought it was a great opportunity to delve into. A guy I think is one of the more interesting stories on this USC football team, and a story that I've told before. We've gotten into your your background and history before, but I wanted the fans to hear it from you. 
and kind of go through everything. And we're going to talk as much off the field stuff as on the field and as much about the future as the past. But I do want to go back to the start of your story, your football story. And I remember, I guess it was what, December of 2018, I went out and sat in your living room with you and your mother. You, you had just signed with USC as a JUCO transfer. You were still kind of in the the haze of that whole decision that had uh, been so tough for you the previous days. And no one really knew what was going to come to your career. And you go on to lead the team in sacks and tackles for loss last year. It's been a great story. Nick, just going back through all this, uh, when you were a freshman at Cal Poly, redshirting on a very bad FCS team, kind of not seeing your future there. Could you have ever imagined everything playing out as it has to this point? Uh, I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about just because, you know, having been a USC fan, like growing up my entire life, like I was just like kind of kept tabs on the program and always looked at it with that elite sort of aura around it. So, I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about, but I, I just, I don't know. I guess I just tried not to look too far ahead and just kind of like continue to, you know, do my best in the things that I do every day. And for that to have come possible, it's just, it's a, I mean, it's a great feeling and, and a blessing, but I mean, there's still more to be done. <clears throat> Absolutely. And like I said, we talked about this in depth way back when, but I want the fans to kind of hear the story from your, your perspective. So you're lightly recruited coming out of high school. You were more of a baseball player for a while not a lot of football offers. You go to Cal Poly. It's not going great. Just kind of take us back to that place and what your mindset was at that time. I signed to Cal Poly out of high school, and there were a few guys on my team that were getting, like, big-time uh, looks and offers. Like, Jeremiah Martin's at U- University of Washington now. He was at the a before, and then, um, <clears throat> obviously, Jaden Daniels at ASU. And so uh, I just, like, had some ex- – like, we were getting the amount of exposure, and I just felt like I wasn't like, – I could get to that point, I guess. But then I ended up going to Cal Poly, and um, you know, there's a lot of great guys up there. And the D-line coach that I had up there was, you know, someone that I still, like, keep in touch with, such a great guy. And then he had taken, like, a defensive coordinator job in December, and it kind of always been my mind to leave. Uh, that was December of 2017. And uh, when he left, it just kind of made it a little bit easier to step out and um, and kind of, like, just go after that. And I kind of just thought, like, you know, if – if things didn't go well, then I would still have an opportunity to reconnect with him at his new spot after a year at Juco. And if things went well, then, you know, I, I would have any opportunity. So I thought kind of like it was like a, you know, high ceiling, uh, high floor, like situation where like there wasn't, you know, there wasn't going to be nothing could be possibly too bad. And then my parents were, um, really receptive of it. I, like I had to kind of pitch it to them for a while. They, cause obviously walking away from, a college scholarship is just like a pretty bold thing to do, especially in the, like in the name of going home and going to like near college. But I mean, they really allowed me to, to make those decisions and I'm really grateful to be where I'm at today. And uh, I still keep in touch with some of those people from Cal Poly just because we, I mean, those freshman years are really important and personal growth and like lots of memories there for sure. It's an incredible journey from, from Cal Poly to Riverside city college to USC but when you're at Cal Poly that first semester and you're not playing and it's it's not a good team and you're not even getting on the field, where did you find the belief that you could be a player at a bigger level? You, you could be this kind of player that you become. Um, I think like just like practicing, like feeling that you know I like could compete with like guys that were five, four or five years older than me, and that real getting some you know collegiate coaching and putting things together and like kind of just figuring out. Like, okay, like, I can, you know, this is something that I could do and do it at a high level. And I think it wasn't, I never, like, was really under the guys of, like, I'm not playing, like, I should be playing type of thing because there it was, like, everyone, you know, went to their fifth year and, like, when you were a freshman, you redshirted, like, pretty much no matter what. Like, I think of our class of 25, only one kid burned their shirt, and that was in 2017 where if you played in one game, it burned your shirt. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it's it's a crazy story, but, um I, I, I don't know. I think I just wanted to take the opportunity knowing that, you know, the worst thing that could happen was, you know, was another, you know, any back at like Cal Poly or like a school sort of like that. And you have a great season at Riverside City College, which puts you on the radar for a lot of big programs. You really labor over this decision between USC and UCLA, which is interesting to look back on as uh, look ahead to that game next week. What did you think was realistic when you 
shows the Trojans when you're coming in? How'd you expect your time here to go? I didn't really have uh, major expectations for myself. I just hoped to, you know, I committed off of the five and seven season, and USC had played in like a lot of close games in those games that they had uh, fallen short in. The year before was Cotton Bowl, and the year before was the Rose Bowl. So, you know, I was just hoping to come here and, like, be a part of great teams and contribute in any way that I could. And obviously, I came in with, like, a great player in, in my position group at the time with Drake Jackson. So it was, it was pretty cool to like, get to watch him grow. And just sort of, it's weird to think, like, he was two years younger than me, but like, I learned a lot from, like, his game and, and like, ways that I could add value as a player. But, I, I mean, I, it never really, like, was – a thing where I was like, oh, I need to, obviously I just wanted to compete and contribute, but I never was like, oh, I need to have these sack, like this or this. Like I just was like, you know, come in and do my best and really buy into this. So you've kind of just taken each step of this process without looking really too far ahead to the next step. Yeah, I do my best. I think that maybe this year I could have done a better job staying focused on like what's going on right in front of me just because, you know, you start to hear your name mentioned and you start to hear like, oh, it's possible they could, try to go to the league and this and that and then it kind of takes away from like the focus on the football field because you're so worried about those statistics or like you know how I grade out and stuff in reality it's just you know you play the game the same way and that's how you get to that point because people like you off the way you play the game type of thing so it's human nature though and I'm always curious about that how players don't let it creep into their mind when they're getting close to their future and knowing that they're going to be more closely scouted scrutinized what was some of the buzz you were hearing that kind of got that in your head? I would like have conversations with Coach Vic, and he would say, we would just kind of talk about, you know, if if things go the way they should this year, like, then I should have opportunity to play at the next level. And you know, I'd see like stuff here and there, like on whatever media, like stuff puts it out there. And um, I wouldn't say like I was bought into like that, and, but it was just like, I was like pretty concerned with making plays, doing this, doing that, and then I ended up injured. And, I don't know. I think it was a really hard moment to get injured. Like, again, having been injured in the offseason or, like, having the surgery in the offseason. And so I think it kind of like crushed me a little bit when it first happened. And I think if I hadn't had my mind, like, set out so far in the future, maybe I could have, you know, gone through that rehab faster or just, I don't know. It just wouldn't have been as difficult to get hurt. Yeah, you, you had uh, shoulder surgery in the offseason. Then, then you injured the shoulder. It was the same shoulder, I assume, earlier this year? No, it was actually the other shoulder and like a pretty a different injury, which is good because it's non-surgical, the one that just happened, but it's just like a, a very much an injury that like would linger when, when you're in season and then heal when you're out of season. So trying to get that uh, healed is, was just like tough, and but it's feeling really good now. And then Dante said you also had a leg injury that, that popped up. It's just been kind of a things piling up this year. Yeah, I don't. I would like to think they're like impressive for me one another, but uh, like just, you know, from doing like single arm or single leg stuff in the weight room and then maybe like it makes, I don't know, a leg more susceptible. I, I have no idea, but like, yeah, it's been pretty unfortunate for me this season. But um, it's all right. There's always next season and I, you know, there's still three games left, so. Do you expect to get to play again this season? Yeah, no doubt. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good for next week and like the weeks after. And, yeah, in whatever capacity the team needs me, I'm ready to go and hopefully, uh, you know, have a great offseason and come back next year and stay healthy and have a great season. You are a redshirt senior, but with the COVID year last year, you do get this extra year next year. And what was the, was the plan maybe to just see how things went and, and maybe consider leaving after this year? Or did you always think that you would want to come back for that extra year? Well, I always kind of – like whenever I got to USC, I would always think like, man, I wish I had four years at this place. And it's crazy because like through COVID and – that actually like came true, which I don't know if any other like college football class has ever had that type of situation ever. And so, um, but I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to do really well this year, and you know, ho- hopefully, like have this be like a last year and opportunity to go play on next level. But I mean, I'm not crushed that it didn't happen. I still have this master's program that'll continue through next fall, and so things kind of line up well. Well, that's what I want to get into next. Really impressed, obviously, with your football journey that we talked about. But in the classroom, you got your bachelor's degree in real estate development, 3.76 GPA. You're working on your master's of science in finance. Is that correct? Yes, sir. You have uh, pretty grand visions for the future, maybe pursuing an MBA from Harvard or UPenn. Is, is that kind of the, the thought process you have? That's what I've been told? Yeah, um, I would definitely like to do that. Kind of as things develop, we'll have to see. I, I mean, now that I'm in school, this is like my fifth year, and I'm going to have a sixth year too. It's going to be a lot of school, but 
I don't know. I think I, I just like kind of bought into school at USC when I had that first season and, you know, I just realized kind of the way you do some things is the way you do all things. And being a better student would help me be a better player because there's just like similes, similarities between the classroom and, and football or like really any sport, any, like competition really because, I mean, it's sort of like games are kind of like tests and practice is sort of like studying. I mean, it's like the, sort of like the same thing. Uh, I just try to do my best every day. And this, I'm really happy to be in this uh, master science program. Yeah, it's, it's just going good. And I just kind of hope to continue to build off of my momentum in the classroom and in football and kind of see where that takes me. I, I'm, I, it's hard to be too particular when both are, you know, when you're at the will of football, like I could, you know, I can get to next season and get injured. And I mean, that could be my career or I could go and have like a great career. So it's just, it's hard to really plan too far in the future, but those are definitely things I look forward to like doing later on. I don't think anyone who's not in it can fully appreciate the balance of being a student athlete, especially a football player with all the demands. What's been the biggest challenge for you to maintain that success in both realms and, and find the time for everything? Um, I think what like makes school difficult being a student athlete is just obviously like it's preached about all the time, but like just the restrictions on your free time or like on your time, whether that be like not being able to like, you know, really meet like your other acquaintances in the classes or like getting to like go to like professor's office hours. You just kind of miss out on a little bit of those opportunities to kind of take a step further into the classroom. But I mean, there's still, you know, as a football player, as a student athlete, like, you know, people kind of naturally gravitate towards you and they kind of want to know like, hey, what's the ends on the team? And like, that becomes like a good way to meet professors or like students. But I think, yeah, just, um, you know, not having necessarily the amount of time that like other students have can make it tough especially when like classes are curved and you know some kids can spend an extra like 20 30 hours a week on classroom material like that's what makes it kind of difficult but that, i mean also it makes it a great feeling when you you know score above an average on a test and you look around you're like dang these people have 30 extra hours in the week <laughs> <laughs> absolutely have you kind of crystallized in your head what you want to do down the road whenever football ends, whether that's in a few years or, or a decade, whatever? Do you know exactly kind of what your path is going to be? Yeah, I hope to, like, work on Wall Street. That's how I've been, like, doing a little bit of networking towards that now. Like, there's lots of USC alums that work there, and hopefully, like, in just, like, general investment banking. I just kind of – I'm a very competitive person by nature, and it's a competitive career field, and I just think it lines up nicely with kind of my interests. And, um, yeah, I hope to, like, kind of pursue that in my early years and then, trans like, get into something, like, more, like um, – buy side like so more like the owner ownership of like assets and stuff so private equity and that kind of stuff which there's a good presence out here uh, with the usc connections what was the moment when that vision kind of crystallized for you was it one class or one professor or someone in your life that just kind of steered you in that direction and kind of planted that seed i don't know actually i i feel like it's kind of just been something that i was always a little bit interested in once i got to usc well because before i got to usc like i was kind of all over the place with my interests and everything i didn't really have growing up like where i did there wasn't a lot of like, uh, white collar jobs like a lot were kind of like state jobs or, like more like blue collar stuff like what possibilities there were career-wise and then i like as i kind of learned about that career path in investment banking i uh I always kind of was like, oh, no, like, that's too, like, whatever, like, too white-collar, like, too, whatever. I need to do something more physical. But I guess like, I just see the competition, that, like, that people just to like, get those jobs, and I see the competition once you're in those jobs, and I'm just like, dang, that's kind of been the motto of my life is trying to compete to take the next, go a step higher and a step further. And so I just think it fits nicely with my story and definitely falls into the interest of my classes. The USC folks kind of share with me some of the internships you've done. You've done four internships, and I won't even read down them all. It would take too much time to cover everything you've done. But I wanted to ask you, we always hear in recruiting about the, the USC network, the USC family, the alumni network. How has that helped you uh, with some of those opportunities? Uh, it's helped me, like, immensely. Like, immensely, whether it be through a professor that just kind of, you know, takes me under their wing in a sense and gives me access to, like, their professional network and – helps me to like meet new people that are working like that own businesses or you know work for companies that are willing to make introductions to me to like recruiting teams or whether it be like a direct access to like, a chief executive officer um i one of my i interned with candy wilson last summer they're out 
like a real estate company out of Beverly Hills, but Bill McMorrow was a two-time Trojan, and he's at our practice quite often. And, I mean, he was someone that just, like, kind of, I talked to him, and I kept a relationship with him, and then he, like, offered me an opportunity to go uh, work for the company and interview for the company, and that's what I did last summer. But, I mean, I can't imagine without, you know, those types of relationships trying to get internships and stuff. I just It makes the process, like, that much easier to have the guidance I mean, even I could like I could have so many like different examples, but I just try to encourage other guys to take advantage of that while they're here and kind of strike while the iron's hot while you're a football player and you have stuff to talk about the ins and outs of the program and whether it be asking for like an internship or just like you know shaking somebody's hand, getting putting your name out there that way you're on someone's radar when it comes time when your football career is over. But yeah, it's the Trojan network is as strong as they appreciate it, say it is. Well, very cool. Just to come full circle, put it all in, in perspective. Have you and your family ever sat down and kind of looked back on that crossroads moment you were at back in 2017 and and that decision and just said, man, this this has really worked out well? Um, yeah, I think I think it like kind of happens uh, unintentionally. If it's just like a memory that pops up on like my mom's Facebook or something, and she'll like send me a photo and just think like, wow, like how crazy is that? Or or just like they have so much fun traveling to the away games and like on our home games and just you know, being like fans of the team and they just like kind of are, you know, I think they were going to go to Berkeley this weekend, regardless of the fact that our game got canceled. So like, they're just, I don't know, they're grateful. It's, it's helped them to connect with like lots of their old friends. And then plus, like I could think about when I got into my master's program and they were just so excited for me and to have that opportunity to, at like an elite school. Like, I mean, they're, they're like, really happy that things have worked out for me the way that um, I hope they have. And, uh, yeah, my, I don't know. Every, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It is crazy, but I don't know if there's like a particular time we've like sat down and thought about it. Sure. It's just kind of like as stuff happens, like man, aren't we glad that you know that kind of that decision like changed the future forever? You know, Great stuff. Well, let's just close going back to the football field here. And you did mention there are three games left, and uh, the season's not over. You still hope to get more out of it. What's the toughest part of going through a year like this when? You have a coaching change midseason when the results aren't there. How do you keep the morale through this? I'm really interested in the psychological aspect of it because I have to imagine all that stuff just has to start mounting and wearing on you. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. I, locker room as a whole, it's been a, it's been a tough season just because you know it's USC. We have these expectations, but then you know combine that with like some a few externalities, and and then you, know, you just never want to be the team that like feels self pity and you have to get that out as soon as you feel that because it doesn't as soon as you just like step through the lines and it's game day like none of that matters you know the other team doesn't care about the expectations that you have so I think you know if we maybe experienced that early on or something I think that ship has sailed and I think one of the challenges for like the coaching staff to make those changes like on the fly and the, like with just as far as like the players you know guys have gotten in into like certain routines that they've you know maybe developed like over the past couple of years of like the way things are and you know, they haven't worked and things need to change. And co- the coaches are doing their best to facilitate that change. It's just hard when you're doing that and also preparing for games on the weekend. And so um, I think that's been a challenge. But, I mean, all in all, like, guys chose to come to USC because they love USC and they want to see this place be successful. They want to win. They want to, you know, restore USC to those uh, years of success. So, I think you know, these next three games will do a lot in, in building optimism around our program, whether it be to, like, recruits or internally to guys that are, like, you know, younger guys thinking, do I – is this – are we going to have more success in future years? So I think these are three really important games. Obviously, next week is a, a rivalry game, and, that, I mean, you win that game, and, you know, it's always a good season. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just – it's tough, but we know, like, the tasks ahead and the importance of them, and – that next year's going to be a new opportunity. And if we close this year all right, then it's going to be off to a better start. You know, just building off that, how often do you as a veteran player, as one of the, the more respected guys in that locker room, have to get on the younger guy to keep them bought in through something like this where, where they haven't gone through maybe some of the adversity that other players have and they don't have anything to draw upon? Um, I, don't, it's, I wouldn't say like as much of like a getting on, but just more like a – bringing along type of thing you know what I mean like not not so much like come on you need to do this but like come on it's more like you know we still have this to look forward to you still need to do this like we can do this 
let's just do it. You know, it's trying to keep the optimism that like maybe gets like deterred at some points of the season. But, um, I mean, we have a lot of young, talented players and guys that are going to have great college football careers. And it's just kind of like helping for guys to just like see it through, you know, like just keep practicing hard because, you know, we're going to break through at one point and it's going to be good. If everyone can like get bought into this thing and coaches and everyone, then, you know, we can move along and kind of move forward. So, Well, certainly a lot to look forward to in the future for your career, both on and off the field. Nick, thanks for your time. Of course. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, that was a great, great segment with Nick Figueroa, USC's redshirt senior defensive end, who has a lot of very big things ahead in his future, whether it's football or otherwise. Next, let's get back to the coaching search. I know it's what everyone wants to talk about. It's on front of mind for all USC fans. We're getting closer and closer to maybe some finality to it as we move through November and the end of the regular season. Of course, nobody knows exactly where things stand with Mike Bone and his process. They've done a great job of keeping a cloak of secrecy over everything, which you have to respect. But doesn't stop us from talking about it and giving opinions and, and trying to read the tea leaves and make assumptions and connect dots, etc., etc. So to do that, let's welcome back into the show, good friend of the podcast, great friend of the podcast host, Brady McCullough of the LA Times. Brady, how's it going? Going great, Ryan. Always excited to join you here. You are on for a specific reason today. We can have you on every podcast and have things to talk about, but today, a specific reason. You just dropped the story online. You went out to Redlands, California to get to the heart and soul of who Dave Aranda is. And of course, USC fans have become enamored with Dave Aranda as a prime candidate for the USC job. He's now in his second season at Baylor, has things rolling, obviously a esteemed defensive coordinator for many years. But you went beyond the numbers, beyond the resume. You went to the origin of Dave Aranda. We'll get into a lot of details. It was a phenomenal story. I hope everyone who's listening to this takes time to read it. You'll really come away with a true sense for who the man is. But just to start generally, Brady, what was your main takeaway? What did you learn about Dave through this process? Well, before we get to that, I, I was interested to hear you say that USC fans are enamored by him already. I, yeah. And you have a feel for this. Obviously, you're, you're fine uh, subscribers at Trojan Sports. You have a real feel for the pulse of the fan base. So I, I'm curious to hear from you before I get going on it, you know, where, that, where that came from. Absolutely. I've been surprised, honestly. I mean, I think Dave Aranda is an intriguing candidate for sure. And what I'm going to say here is more just to paint the other side of the coin, not that I'm against him as a USC candidate, but I am surprised that he has become like the most unilaterally supported candidate in this search. He's only in the second year as a head coach. Things you know, started slowly last year. They're much better this year, but you could point to Baylor and say, well, they hired a new offensive coordinator. They're averaging 13 points a game more than last year. How much is that a factor in why they're 6-2 and two this year? How much do we know about Dave Aranda as a head coach, as ability to lead? As we get into it with your story, he's not a big personality, and I wonder how well he will recruit if he gets a job like this. There are a lot of questions out there, and yet you go down the list for most of our posters, and it's Aranda, Aranda, Aranda. A lot of them aren't um, overwhelmed by Matt Campbell because he only wins eight or nine games a year. <laughs> James Franklin has almost no support on the board, which is surprising. And, and we'll get more into Franklin on this call, too. There's other things involved there. I went on with Adam Gorney on our Rivals show earlier this week and talked about it. And I still think that if James Franklin can be vetted for this job, he would do great here. And, and we'll get into more into that. But it's not landing with the fans. Campbell's not landing. Franklin's not landing. I think Fickle does, but uh, I think there's a lot of doubt based on your reporting as to whether he would come out here. But everyone is high on Dave Aranda. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I took the time to go uh, introduce them a little further this week. <laughs> well, he's been atop your uh, your heat watch, heat check, heat checklist. Heat check. So you clearly felt some of those uh, those fumes coming your way. Yeah, I did. You know, I, I don't, I can't reveal too much about where you know, some of the things come from and that, that heat check is it's a, a delicate balance of, of stuff that you're, you're hearing, you know, versus, um, your own gut feels. And, 
you know, there's one thing to hear something from someone that you trust, but also another thing to fully report, you know, oh, he's a candidate for sure. You know, so, you know, we're trying to tread lightly there. But, yeah, there, there were a couple of different reasons that, that brought – they brought Dave to the uh, to the top of the heat check and and then sent me out on this this trip to to Redlands. Beautiful, beautiful community. Actually, I was shocked. I, I was thinking it'd be more desert like, but but no, just a really lush, really nice town. Um, I, I was I was impressed by it. Uh, just you know, it's, a, it's pretty new to Southern California and heading out that to that stretch pretty far out in the Inland Empire. But you know, my my takeaway was. Yeah, like this guy definitely, uh, you know, was just seeing the story. You know, he had the nickname Fence Post um, in high school because he was so quiet, so stoic, so immovable emotionally, you know, that uh, his friend actually, I didn't, this didn't make a story, but his friend just talked about he was just, he was kind of an intimidating uh, presence because of all that. You know, can a guy like that translate to USC where, you know, I think I don't. You know, there's obviously a lot more to why you know John McKay and John Robinson and and Pete Carroll and then some of the other guys who sprinkled in there who also had success had success beyond just being kind of kind of colorful, you know, vigorous, uh, you know, presences, personalities. But I do think that the you know there's just this vibe of of Los Angeles and you know, like you mentioned, the recruiting. You know, how you were recruiting the kids in Southern California who. There's so much competition here for for those kids right now, and and as ever, um, you know how does how does Dave Aranda's personality translate? And I thought one interesting thing was you know his high school coach we remained pretty close with through the years. I was talking about how he watches Aranda's Baylor press conferences, and and is always just wow, like look at him, you know, using all of these words, and 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 yes, like Aranda is still in those press conferences. Uh, very dry, kind of monotone. He has a really, really low voice, and everything is very methodical and thought out. And but yet, his this guy who's known him forever says, "Wow, man, he's really, he's really opened up, you know, <laughs> or he's, you know, he's really comfortable with this this spotlight, um, being a head coach." And and it was funny because I was recalling a couple conversations I have with some USC fans that I talk with that were referring to those exact press conferences and saying. Like this guy has the personality of a wet noodle, yeah. And so that kind of stuck with me is how you know, you know. I, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, as with most things. I, I mean, Dave Aranda is a first of all, he's a, he is evolving. He's evolving as we speak into being a head coach um, after many years as a coordinator who just got to be totally geeked out on X's and O's which was what his upbringing was in football. He was just uh, obsessed with, with the strategy and, and the, the chess match of football. And, you know, but, but yeah, like he, he is evolving and he, he does have uh, clearly that, that fire in the belly to be great and to mold greatness in his players. So, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of my takeaway is I, I think he's somewhere in the middle, and I think there there is a, a world in which he could he could operate as as the somewhat reluctant face of the USC football program. I'd like to believe that I too am still evolving personally. <laughs> Trying to at least. Firm, I can confirm you are always <laughs> always evolving. Well, you spent time out in Redlands. You talked to his high school coaches and college coaches. They kind of speculated as to would a guy like Dave Aranda, who was so principled, want to leave Baylor after two years, even for a great job like this. What sense did you get from them for how much home and, and, and being close to his family and all that stuff would be a major draw for him? Yeah, so I I think that a couple things. So, you know, we can look at, like, again, this, is, this coaching search is so fun because you're you're just trying to use your like analytical, you know, brain to, to sift through stuff, you know, and you look at the LSU situation and the fact that uh, he was making $2.5 million a year at a certain point there uh, to be their defensive coordinator. I mean, that is incredible amount of money to coach the defense and do nothing but that. And obviously, you know, paid off and won a national championship, but that Aranda was making that much money and yet was still, in conversations at the very least 
with USC about coming out here to be the defensive coordinator tells me that, because I, I think we can both agree, USC, I think, I don't think they sure as heck aren't, weren't going to beat that 2.5. And they may, they may have done whatever they could to sweeten it and get it close to that or, or whatever at that point, you know, after the 2019 season when they were still trying to bolster Clay. But to me, if he's having those conversations, that means, A, either either he really wanted out of Baton Rouge or he really, either he or his wife, Dion, really wanted to, to come back here and be in Southern California. Her family is from there. They're high school sweethearts at Redlands. Uh, somehow with his personality like it was, he, he got the cheerleader. And so he, he packed the punch somewhere. And um, her family's here. His family's here. There's a funny little anecdote in the story where his best friend, who I think they, his best friend from high school, that you know he doesn't see him that often because Dave's a recluse. But um, Dave comes back to Redlands and you know barely even gives his family any notice, and you know just comes in and needs a quick dinner, and he's back on the road recruiting or or whatever he's doing, you know, in town. And people said for Dave, he he could be coaching at. Baylor or Cal Lutheran or USC, like as long as he's coaching football, you know, he's, he's good with it. It's kind of the sense that, that people have of him. But I would assume that the assumption is that, that it's very important to his wife to get back here, you know, for the right opportunity. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point you made. And I should have hit it at the top, but the, one of the main reasons why Dave Aranda started populating on all these lists was because of that contact two years ago with Mike Bone where, you know, according to what I've been told, and, and I believe it, that they had a contract on the table for him to pry him away from LSU, and if Baylor hadn't come in with a head coaching offer, which was not expected when those negotiations started, that he would have been USC's defensive coordinator, it would have been a major coup for Mike Bone in this program, and it certainly does make a strong statement about Either one of those two things, either he wanted away from Ed Orgeron and LSU or he really wanted to come to Southern California, especially given the state of the program at that time, um, you know, Clay Helton's uncertain status. That's a that's a really bold move to make if, if you were on the precipice of doing that. So you can't discount that when you think about him in this search. Let's talk about Dave as a coach. Like I said earlier, second year at Baylor, first year was a little rough. This year he has it going. Again, did change offensive coordinators, which is a major upgrade on that side. His associate head coach just got hired by Texas Tech. Um, so he has a good staff with him. What is your evaluation of him as a coach, a coaching candidate? Take away the fit, the roots, the origin connection, and just him as a, as a raw coaching candidate. What's your evaluation? Yeah, um, yeah you, you strip it all away and you look at the track record and, and the guy – has very clearly knows how to coach defense. And, you know, that is, uh, you know, it's been surprising being, you know, following USC closely over the last three, four years, just how, how underwhelming the defense is. I mean, it, you know, it's particularly when I got here in 2018 and, and there was still a bunch of talent on that defense um, at that time, experienced talent. And man, they just could not. They were just all over the place. Like it just didn't. Yeah. The yards were there to be had, you know. And I, I just think, and that certainly continued in the last three years since then. And I just think it, it does make sense. It makes good sense for USC to tighten down defense first. You know, they are always going to have the quarterbacks and the receivers, and I, I certainly, I'm sure, the tailbacks too, but. But the quarterbacks and receiver talent out here in this region is remarkable. And there will always be the players to put together an offense that can move the football. You know, but I think getting back to the roots of, of, of defense and, you know, this is a guy that, that can do that. And he's shown he can do it as a head coach because he's got Baylor's defense, you know, playing on the Big 12, the wide open Big 12. And, and holding holding these offenses down just enough uh, to win seven games. And uh, you know, one thing that I did pick up that's interesting too about this particular Baylor team is, you know, that I think shows shows something about him is their leading rusher, Abram Smith, 
was a starting linebacker last year. So, you know, he took one of the best, you know, players on his defense from last season, converted him into a tailback, and the dude, I think he's over a 1,000 yards. I mean, he is very, very good running back, and Aranda's based that offense around, essentially, he's a linebacker coach by trade, Aranda. He was a linebacker himself. He couldn't stay healthy, uh, but he knows linebackers, and he, he took this linebacker and turned him into one of the best running backs in the Big 12 in one offseason. I mean, things like that just just tell me this guy this guy's good. This guy knows what he's doing. Um, he's certainly inexperienced, and I you know if that becomes a big factor, then then that that's going to be something that Bone um, is going to have to get over and trust trust their projection. Yeah, for sure. Well, going back to your trip, Redlands, um, coming out of that, did you feel it was more or less likely that Dave Aranda is near the top of USC's list and gettable. I'm going to say, I'm going to say more likely. I, I think there is nothing that I heard or saw or learned that made me think that this couldn't happen. I think, you know, a little bit of, you know, back, back to background information here that for your, for your lovely subscribers who I hope continue to subscribe and tell their friends about the amazing work you do at Trojansports.com is, you know, I tried to reach out to his family and they, they're very quiet. They're like him. They're, that's the personality, but I got zero response from, from them, which to me just, I don't know. I had a, just had a little bit of feeling of, Hey, maybe, yeah, Maybe they maybe they've been told by by Dave to to keep quiet about something. Maybe even if that something is just the potential of this, not anything official, but the, just the potential this could happen. You know, I thought, anyway, I, I certainly found that interesting that to not even get a response or like, oh, you know, we're we're not going to talk about that right now, or we want to, you know, we don't want to draw any attention away from what's happening at Baylor or. I mean, just total silence. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I think I think this, I think this could, it could happen. I, I you know, I, it's definitely, um, it could happen. It's not nothing. You're right. That's an interesting, interesting thing to read into. Well, let's pivot to what you would do if you were Mike Bone, and what I would do if I were Mike Bone. And I'll start with mine. Um, again, I, I am. Definitely intrigued by Dave Aranda, and if he ends up the USC head coach, I will think it's, it's a big upside move that has a lot of potential, and I will have optimism for it and, and confidence that it could really work out. As it stands, though, he would be the baseline for my search. I, I look at all the candidates we talk about, and I think he is the most gettable of those candidates and and does carry upside, but I would I would still – Make Matt Campbell tell me no. Make Luke Fickle tell me no. In fact, I would re- reverse that order. I'd go Fickle, Campbell, and do everything I can to try to sway them and make them say, absolutely, um, I'm not coming. I'm staying put. Then go to Dave Aranda and say, okay, you're our guy. What do you think? That's what I would do. How about you? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's really sound. You know, one thing I'm surprised, actually, that you, you didn't include, where, where do you put – for you, Mike Bone, where do you put James Franklin in that mix? It's it's the unknown. I mean, you, you wrote a story a few weeks ago or a month ago, whatever it was, kind of trying to paint the picture of of this Vanderbilt situation that kind of is his skeleton in the closet, whether fairly or not. And it's, it's one of those things where, where, no, where nobody truly has a read on, did James Franklin do anything wrong in – covering anything up or or in the way that things were reported and, and, and played out when those ugly things happened at Vanderbilt, no one knows. And he may be totally in the clear, and this is just so unfortunate that this keeps popping up for him all these years later, or or the perception just may be enough of an obstacle in itself for a risk-adverse school like USC. So I, maybe I've been too swayed by, by that notion that USC – was never in a position to hire a guy like Urban Meyer. And USC would have a hard time hiring James Franklin 
because of the questions that will come, whether they're warranted or not. And I just don't know. And I did this Rivals video with Adam Gorney, like I said earlier in the week, and I brought that up and kind of dismissing him as a candidate and not because I wouldn't hire him. It's just I can't remove it from the equation. And I kind of felt bad after that segment because I, I don't know what USC thinks about that. So to answer your question, for me, uh, it's, it's tough because I, I've been really focused on those other three for a while. I would still have Fickle one just because of his whole makeup. His, you know, I think he would bring a, a discipline and a, and a culture that's needed to his program. And obviously, if Mike Bone were to hire Luke Fickle, he knows what Luke Fickle can do and who he is, and, and he and he's saying, I know that this can work here too. I would have confidence in that. Matt Campbell, again, like I said earlier, <coughs> some people can't get past the fact that he hasn't had 12 win seasons or been to the college football playoff, and I can't get past the fact that he's won eight and nine games a year in Ames, Iowa. So we talked before, we don't even know what his – ambitions are uh, where he stands in this no one's no one's bothered to ask him to make him release one of those statements that come out during coaching searches but he just intrigues me highly so he's number two and then I would go with Aranda and Franklin I, st- I go back to the fact that I think Franklin's personality would fit so well out here I think he would dominate recruiting and I would encourage people not to think that the plateaus he's hit in the Big Ten necessarily indicate the ceiling he would have in the Pac-12, which is a much easier conference. I don't think he would hit the same ceiling he's hit over there. So I would be very, very encouraged by any of those four. I like, I like your list. Uh, I think, uh, I think, you know, that's it. We got to go with it from, you know, we don't know what truly what's limiting, you know, bone and uh, what, what, things he has to deal with and and all that but if you if you look at assume that the vetting of james franklin turns up essentially murkiness you know just more murkiness unclear totally what he did at vanderbilt as far as contacting the victim you know after the fact after the incident etc changing his story you know midstream on whether or not he'd seen a video you know those things are certainly like questionable but uh, you know if, if the vetting comes back it was eight years ago if it comes back murky you don't quite know exactly um dang, i mean can you really not can you not go with franklin now maybe there's other reasons you don't want franklin but but it's um yeah, it'd be, it'd be really. Uh, I think it it will be. It would be disheartening for a lot of USC fans. I think to to think that they didn't uh, that they would take Aranda over Franklin. But I but I think that that's certainly something that could happen. I think Franklin wants out of state college. I think Jimmy Sexton's the agent now. Franklin's making somewhere around. You know, it's it's hard to pin it totally down, but he's making a lot of money. Six million range six seven you know range and is usc gonna you know deal with jimmy sexton and pay eight million dollars say for for james franklin given all these things when you could get a you know dave aranda for cheaper and you know there's just there's a lot of factors that make it such a fascinating search and and seeing where they land but but you're right you you know fickle's got to say no i'm staying put in the midwest Campbell's got to say no. I'm. I, I want to be the next Bill Snyder and have a, you know, the stadium and Ames be named Matt Campbell Stadium and Matt Campbell Family Stadium. <laughs> and it is. He's a family guy. You know, he's a he's a faith family football guy. Maybe that gives everyone tremors too. Uh, Matt Campbell's a faith family football guy, but that that stuff's working at Ames. Um, you know, he he is a proven star to me in this in this industry already so if you can get him you you do it and then and then yeah you move down and then you're then you're weighing whatever the things there are to weigh about james franklin uh with the 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 pristine upside of uh of someone like aranda i mean you're you're a big 10 guy so again like on my board 
I think that it would be 95% would choose Aranda over Franklin, and it does surprise me just be, just because of the experience factor. I, I would think that after the Clay Helton experience, the thought of having a guy who's been a head coach in Power 5 conferences at a high level for a long time would be a, an appealing attribute. You're a Big Ten guy, though, Michigan grad. You watch a lot of Big Ten football. What do you think? Exactly. <laughs> what do you think of Franklin as a coach, and and what do you think he would do here if he were the guy? Um, you know his his game, his in game coaching has never impressed me. I I definitely think he gets very conservative in moments where he shouldn't. That's one thing I've noticed over time. You know, it's just, I'm, golly, how do you how do you lose to that this Illinois team when you still you're still playing for at that point the playoff, all the things? How do you lose that game in that way to Illinois? And so that one really that one really hurt his overall vibe and candidacy far beyond whatever happened at Vanderbilt. You know, it, it just. Dang, how do you lose that game? So I think that I'm assuming that if that game didn't happen, they had won that game and played Ohio State tough in Columbus as they do, and that was where it stood right now. I wonder how much differently USC fans would be viewing, you know, a potential kind of a, a guy, you know, James Franklin versus a Dave Aranda. Um, that game was brutal, and I, and I just think it points to he's not a great. I don't think he's a great in-game coach. But he he clearly can recruit, and that's the number one draw. If you're if you're USC and you you are enticed by Franklin, it is all about recruiting and having basically knowing you're going to have a top five recruiting class every year, and that that has to be enticing. But but I do think he he's a little clumsy in his his outward you know the way he represents the program. I think he's a little clumsy there. Um, there's there's potential for missteps publicly despite having a you know, bigger personality so to speak and there's a there's a bigger ego there's a lot more money your, your investment is going to be significantly higher and james franklin with jimmy sexton as his agent so it's a question of is are those are those every year top five recruiting classes worth all that and they may be one interesting note from aranda was one of the coaches i spoke with about him felt very much like okay yes like Dave is not going to like, you know, dominate the living rooms, you know, in a traditional sense, but that recruiting wise, people, families will find him very authentic. He is not a used car salesman in the least. I mean, he is tireless about everything in his program and he would be about recruiting too. And, and the point the guy made was he will most, he would be very surprised if Aranda wouldn't, very happily keep Dante Williams, you know, on staff to to lead recruiting and continue what he's what he started there. That would be an important piece of, of Aranda is uh, is having a, a, a dude like Dante leading leading recruiting in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I don't know how much USC has to worry about recruiting. Period. Once they have stability in that position and they can just go back to selling all the things that that make USC so sellable without having the cloud of Clay Helton or is the staff going to be fired next year. Once they that's removed, I think they can go back to just doing what they do and it's going to work with whatever coach they get. Yeah, I don't know if I would make my full decision based on recruiting. And I think the point you made with Franklin about just the cost is, is really significant. I'm not sure that they want to be in that stratosphere. So that very well could be the, the bigger hindrance to him than anything. To close the book on him, though, and – we kind of beat around the bush with the Vanderbilt stuff. You know, I, when I was talking to Adam Gorney this week on our Rivals show, he made the point that, you know, Penn State vetted him pretty thoroughly, at least uh, was the perception. You know, certainly they were coming off some very, very ugly stuff in that same realm and, and had to be very cautious and, and careful with their decisions. And they felt that he was uh, hireable, and he's certainly been – pretty good citizen in his time there and I don't think has raised many red flags since so it, it may very well all be unfair but 
you dug really deep in, into the whole situation just to try and, and, and get a fuller sense and use the word murky. I think that's probably as close as anyone's going to get to to having a full understanding. But what was your personal feeling coming out of it as to whether that is a factor in Franklin's future? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, he said he was a, a young head coach who went to a place where it's very hard to win and a place that has long prioritized academics and admission standards over football success. And I think it's, a very small scale version of, you know, some of these schools that suddenly get success and and lose a little bit of their their compass on their mission. And I think Vanderbilt suddenly tasted football success, um, you know, at that like le- you know that level in the SEC. And I think the sense I got from researching and reading was that they they loosened things up a little bit for him. They dang, that was fun winning those games and having alumni, you know, on campus excited for the football games. And I'm sure donations went up, you know, all those things that happened. And I, you know, I just think they, Vanderbilt suddenly was feeling pretty good about it. Well, let's win some football games and we'll, you know, help, help out coach and, you know, what ways we can. And, you know, well then it's not like you could do all that and you go, Oh, well, well, so here's what we're about to have a big, you know, rape scandal. But, but but that is what happened, and um, I think it seems like James, as a young coach, trying to navigate all that, and it just seems like he, he just made some immature mistakes in the way that, that he inserted himself into the, the scenario. Yeah. Um, and, you know, does that deserve to, you know, keep him, you know, eight years later from from getting a USC job, I, I, who am I to say, but I, and particularly, yeah, I mean, geez, well, it didn't stop Penn state eight years ago. So, you know, that all of those things are going to be taken into consideration with him. And I, I just, I get this sense that for the reasons we've discussed, they, they, they would like it to be somebody else, but I, I don't know that he's been eliminated. Well, very good. Great stuff. I encourage everyone to read your Dave Aranda story on the LA Times website. And you've been really hitting all the notes through this coaching search. You went out to Cincinnati, the Luke Fickle profile. You did the in-depth look at Franklin we just talked about, and now Aranda. So, uh, USC fans, if you want to know more about these candidates, this is your guy. He's been delivering it for you this whole time. Well, I'll tell you this. I, I'm not going to Ames without you. So, <laughs> we got to... If we're gonna go, gonna go knock on the Campbell front door. You gotta come with me so we can fire up, you know, the old times. Pack your bags for Ames. <laughs> inside joke, inside joke. Anyways, uh, thanks as always, Brady McCullough, the LA Times. We appreciate your time. Of course, anytime. Okay, surprise segment on the podcast was not planned, but we are reacting in real time to five-star cornerback Damani Jackson. Announcing his decommitment from USC as he opens up his recruitment. This happens Sunday night. And we bring on Rivals National Recruiting Director, Adam Gorney. Adam, how's it going? Good, right. What was your reaction to Damani's news? Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't completely shocking after that Alabama visit. I think after that trip, the coaching staff at Alabama thought that they had a chance to flip him. At least it was, you know, part of a discussion. Uh, it wasn't completely out of left field. And and look, this is Damani really had wanted to go to USC for a very long time. He, you know, dreamed of playing there. It's down the road. There's a lot of connections, and and obviously he has a great relationship with Dante Williams. All of that kind of remains true. The problem is, is that uh, he could play for Nick Saban, or you know to be determined he doesn't know what that situation looks like and um he goes to alabama and he said this uh to me when i talked to him sunday night he said you know i go to alabama and the stadium's rocking and it's packed and everybody knows who i am and and all the things that we've kind of discussed before and and the coliseum is half empty and you know he, he said something like you know people in la don't really care about football anymore so 
you know, I think I think he kind of ex- I think he over the last month or so he's experienced a whole lot of what college football has to offer at the highest level. He didn't exactly see all of that at USC, and I think the coaching situation is concerning him a little bit. For sure. I, I mean, I've sat in that stadium all season in the Coliseum and wondered, man, they're bringing recruits to look at this place, and this is not a great reflection on the program. So was not shocked at all to see that statement. Uh, is is Michigan a factor at all at this point, or do you think it's really all about Alabama? Yeah, I think Michigan is definitely still in there, but, I, but I've but i gotten the sense and I've read some things that he, he's basically said it's, it's USC and Alabama now. So I'm not counting out Michigan. Um, you know, that was the childhood dream school. He's originally from the Midwest. You know, his dad likes Michigan a whole lot. I think he likes the coaching staff there, has a lot of NFL experience. I think all of those things, playing with Will Johnson would be cool. I don't think it's going to be, you know, a really final factor. But but I get the sense that it's that it's Alabama. He's going to take a look at USC. If USC could make a decision before early signing day, it's going to give him a lot to think about, especially if Dante stays on staff, which is, you know, I would imagine sort of expected, and the hire is kind of a home run. So... If that happens, I don't think USC is necessarily out of this. Um, but I do think Alabama kind of holds all the cards right now. And, and he said it before, like Alabama is Alabama. It's hard to turn down. It's hard to say no to the success and the development there. And after seeing it for himself, you know, and weighing, you know, the USC situation, he said, you know, I got, I got to open this back up. Yeah, I mean, it clearly sounds like just – being there was a very significant factor because he had told you before that, you know, if Dante Williams is still at USC, then I'm committed to USC. And that's how he felt at one point at least. But you get to Alabama and it's a different ball game. Um, do you think that he waits long enough to see what USC does or is there any risk that he maybe thinks about this for a few more days and goes, you know what, I can't shake that feeling I had in Tuscaloosa. I'm going to commit. Yeah, I, my sense is that he's going to wait until the early signing period and, and do something, whether it's on television or with some sort of announcement, to do something that way. That buys him a good amount of time to see if USC, you know, what exactly what they do, how they handle this over the next few weeks, who they bring in, what the rumors are, all of those kinds of things. Because I, I do think in the back of his mind he still is, is curious about how this all plays out for USC. And he's kind of leaving the door open to allow himself to come back into the class. What I don't think he wants to do is commit to Alabama over the next couple of days, and then see who USC hires, and then have second, you know, second guesses about his second commitment. I don't think he wants to be the flip flop guy at the end, like like others have done. So, you know, I don't know what conversations were had at Alabama when he was there. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if, in some sense, he let them know that you know there's a very good possibility he could end up there. My sense is that they felt that they had a very good chance of flipping him um, and, and getting him in this class and feeling good about it. So I definitely think that, you know, uh, he would wait until the early signing period. Um, he knows the situation at Alabama. He will get to know it at USC, presumably over the next few weeks, I would imagine, hopefully, uh, something before early signing period in middle December, um, and then and then make his final decision. But if I was a USC fan right now, I wouldn't be holding my breath. Yeah, well, I mean, Dante Williams is is the wild card there. He's uh, surprised us before, so you never know. Just kind of last question for you, and, and we don't know who the coach is going to be, but just in general, if they do make a hire pretty quickly after the regular season ends, what do you think is possible for USC in December in terms of rallying in this class? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Um, it's you know the, the problem is, and this is something that we've documented well before, is that you know uh, all the top guys in California, very few of them are really looking at USC. I don't think uh, I don't think Dave Aranda or Luke Fickle or whoever comes in is going to convince T Mac not to go to Oregon or CJ Williams. You know that'll be interesting to see if they make a serious run at him, but. You know, saying no to Notre Dame is going to be difficult for him. Ernest Green is probably going to end up at Georgia. Texas, Ohio State is also in there. So, like, 
Damani at Alabama. So, you know, if, if we pencil him in there. So uh, I don't see Relique Brown flipping at all. Uh, he's very happy with Oklahoma in that situation as long as Lincoln Riley stays there. So, you know, at that highest end kid, I don't know if someone goes, wow, Dave Aranda is the coach at USC right now. And despite him having six, tremendous success at Baylor in only year two, I just don't think that's enough of a household name to, to convince a lot of these kids to flip. So um, I think it'll be a difficult situation for the early signing period. If there is a lot of late stragglers, uh, USC should do very well with a new coaching place. But really the, the, the eyes should turn to the 2023 class and start get going on those guys. Good stuff as always, Adam. We appreciate it. All right, Ryan. Thanks, man. And now that is our podcast. Thank you to Adam Gorney for coming on late notice, or no notice, actually, as we reacted in real time to the Damani Jackson news. Thank you to Nick Figueroa for taking the time on a weird, unexpected bye week to talk about some football, but also some non-football, and just give you a chance to get to know him a little bit. And thank you to Brady McCullough of the LA Times for dropping some insight on us about Dave Aranda. We will keep bringing you the podcast, especially as this coaching search nears its its end, which we would assume is coming soon after the regular season ends. But, again, nobody knows. So stay with Trojansports.com. Stay with the Trojan Talk podcast. We're back on game week this week as USC host rival UCLA in the Coliseum. And if there's a game that USC fans can still get up for in this wayward lost season, it is the rivalry showdown with the Bruins. So we will have tons of content all week to get you ready for that at trojansports.com. Thanks, as always.